Well, hello, and welcome to our Coffee with Alan time today. Um, I wanted to uh, talk about um, a burning question that I think a lot of people have, especially when they talk to people that are not uh, churched or you know have a, a faith experience, um, and that is, is the Bible trustworthy? Is the Bible trustworthy? You know, the, the question is, you know, can I trust the Bible? Okay, we, we, you'd say that uh, this, this thing, this book that you read that you believe um, was written by people, and therefore it is flawed. Therefore, that's what I hear a lot, that you can't trust the Bible because man, you know, men wrote it, and men are fallible, and how can I trust something if man wrote it, and if man distorted it? You know, especially, there's a big uh, you know, thought that the, you know, the Catholic Church kind of took the Bible and distorted it and changed all sorts of, all sorts of things with it. Uh, or people have changed it over the years and edited it, and so we can't really trust trust it. The Bible's not really trustworthy. Uh, we can't really trust these stories that that are written in it, and uh, not so much that even that I can't trust the stories, but even if they're just stories, um, that I can't trust um, the 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 author's intent that they're writing God's desire even because it's they're written by man. The Bible's written by man, and therefore I cannot trust the Bible. Therefore I cannot trust. That they're you know in the God that they uh, that they pose the, the God that they believe in that the God that the church that that Christianity believes in <clears throat> so I want to talk about that a, a bit today because I did I preached on Sunday um, about wielding the sword wielding the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God you know the Word of God both written and the Word of God being a person being Jesus Christ Himself because as we know Jesus Christ is called the Word of God. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, you know, later on in, in John chapter 1, and the Word, talking about the same word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, walked among us, lived life among us. So God's presence came to us. He didn't wait for us to go to His presence, like in a, in a, in a building, in a, in a room, on an, ark, on, a, on an ark. He came to us. He lived with us, and now he believe we believe in, in the church that he lives in us. The word of God is in us. I will write my my ways, my write write my my character, write my opinions, write my worldview. The word namas for law, my worldview upon their hearts. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and they'll they'll prophesy and dream dreams and um, and so I want to answer that question. I want to talk about a little bit about that question. Can we trust the Bible? And if I can trust, trust, trust the Bible, what does that mean for my life? And what does that mean for my faith? Um, and so I, I want to be helpful for us, you know, because I think most of us here are in the church and you know, have a faith experience. And so I'm hoping that this, 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 uh, this podcast will be helpful so that you can have conversations with people. Um, so when people, you know, say, hey, come to my church with me. You know, would you like to read the Bible with me? Would you like a Bible? I give you a Bible. And if they say, oh, I can't trust the Bible, it's written by man, or you know, these different different thoughts and excuses about the untrustworthiness of the Bible, you can have a little bit of, com- be able to have a, uh, some conversation with them a- a- around it. Um, so, first question, the Bible. What What is it? Um, and as we, we believe, you know, the, at our church, at Shift Church, our faith statement says, we believe the Bible, all 66 books of the Old and New Testament, is the unique, full, and final authority on all matters of faith and practice. And there are no other writings similarly inspired by God. Now, this is available on our website. You can go to the shiftchurch.com and check this out. It's on our website under the beliefs, you know, under About Us. You've got the beliefs page. <coughs> this is written right at the top. What is the Bible? It's the very core thing because if we can't b- believe and trust that the Bible is... The, in all 66 books, the Old and New Testament is unique and full and final authority in all matters of life and faith and practice. You know that no other writings are similarly expi- similarly similarly sim- similarly. Wow, my brain, my mouth uh, are inspired by God. Then nothing else matters. Nothing else about what it talks about about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about salvation, about the church, about anything pertaining to life and faith. If, if the Bible isn't true, nothing else matters. If the Bible is not true, if Jesus, you know, if the Bible is not true, and that accounts for, you know, that attributes um, the story of Jesus himself, that he died and rose again so that we would have salvation, redemption, uh, 
the salvaging of our of our life and our faith of, and our spirit, um, it, that if it attests to that, then we, as as, it, as the Bible says, are among all men. We should be pitied. If if the tr- if it's not true, if Jesus is not raised, and we're devoting our life to a lie, all of this is is vanity. It's worthless, and our faith is in vain, and everything that we do is in vain. Um, and so, this matters to get this this right to be able to define why you believe the Bible, why you believe it's trustworthy, and to and to have that belief in your heart that the Bible that the that this that this book is the authoritative thing you know book on all all things that you know, pertain to life and godliness all things that pertain to life and practice faith and practice um, then this matters this if it is true then everything that it says is powerful in what it says because it says so many powerful things that this is why we believe what we believe this is the, where we get the resurrection. This is where we get redemption. This is where we get the view, our, our worldview of the world <coughs> and reality itself. And so, um, so be able to, so you be able to have conversations around this, and for you and your faith specifically, to have um, have that why, have that that confidence, have that assurance, um, and that that affirmation in your soul, in your spirit, in your mind, that this is true. And this, and if it's true, then that changes our faith, and knowing why it's true, and knowing why we believe it. So, um, starting with how it was written, um, I'm not gonna. I don't want to spend, you know, because you can take seminary classes on this thing. And so, I, w- I want to kind of give you the Cliff Notes version of this. Um, and so, basically, we believe that the Bible was was written by, you know, the the Torah was written by Moses, um, <clears throat> and then later on, of course, he, he can't, you know, Moses didn't write about his death. In the end, at the very end of Deuteronomy, so we believe that someone came along later and added his little portion about his death. Same thing with Joshua, that you know that that Joshua wrote uh, the book of Joshua, talking about his life and, and everything, and that his death was added later by um, we call you know not really redactionist but revisionist, but just basically added that part of his story, his life, um, to the book, so that we would have the full account of Moses and his life from birth to death because um, basically the the Torah is about you know is, is a lot about Moses life you know gen, you know Genesis uh, so what you have to understand is that oral tradition back in those days um, was what was passed on to generation to generation they didn't write they didn't you know for for a good portion of our earth's history they didn't write things down um, they passed them along through oral tradition and when I talk about oral tradition um, today we're like you know, oh, it's like the game telephone. You know, one person tells another person, tells another person, tells another person, and every time they they, they distort it, they change it, they you know, so it can't be trustworthy. You know, because you know, in our culture today, um, telephones just simply not not reliable. Um, but something you have to understand is because they didn't have that written language necessarily, <coughs> their oral tradition was had to be perfect, had to be on point. And we're talking like if someone didn't relay a message from the king to someone to someone else, exact and perfect, they could be executed. And so people, this this became an art, you know, this became an art form to be able to relay messages orally, faithfully, and accurately. Uh, we're talking probably even to the tone of voice that the person passed it down to them. They would retell the story and retell the story. I mean, think about it. I mean, within a world, you know, like two two Sundays ago, preaching about what would what would life and relationships look like if the lights went out. Um, if we lost all modern technology, hey, you wouldn't be able to listen to you know to these. You know, that changes you. This is this is the reason why people would have these orators. You know, these these orations. Like they couldn't just throw on a you know pull up a phone, pull up a, an iPad, pull up a computer, and listen to a sermon that someone gave like four months ago. Um, uh, you know, at, at this church over in England or in China or you know or in in Germany or, or across the country, you know, over or even across the state, you know, another church in your community, <clears throat> you know, you wouldn't be able to to hear these things. Um, a lot of times, sermons were written down, you know, were written down, you know, later, 
or you know like guys like john jonathan jonathan edwards this preacher from the first great awakening he ran he manuscripted his his entire sermons so that's why we have so many of jonathan edwards sermons is because he manuscripted he read them word for word and you know they always had you know this this thing where he had his you know, had his his folder had his book down here and he would he had it on his, on the pulpit and he would every once in a while you know lift his finger like this and you point it up in the air or just point out occasionally looking up to the people but then getting back down to his manuscript that was the way that Jonathan Edwards, this great um, pastor from the First Great Awakening period, um, how he uh, he would preach, and so that's why we have so many of his sermons. You know, same thing with you know with you know, the popular ones. A lot of times there would be they would have people there just doing shorthand, writing shorthand, so that they didn't miss you know they didn't miss a word from the, you know guys like uh, Charles Spurgeon. That's why we have so many so many quotes and, and sermons from John from Charles Spurgeon is because we had people there doing shorthand and they would actually transcribe his sermons and publish them in the newspaper the next that you know that week. So if you couldn't make it to church, you could still read his sermon um, in, in the, you know, in the, at the church that he preached at. So it wasn't, the newspaper wasn't for the church. The newspaper was for the city because it was so popular. You know, and, and of course, not everyone could fit in the building. And they didn't have multiple services oftentimes, so they would read it in the newspaper. And so it's that kind of thing. Passing it on... Um, verbatim word for word it was an art form like writing and typing and and, and or, orations are still today but they would take even much more care it's like the scientific process it was they would take such incredible pride in their ability to recreate and retell the story because think about a, a, a world without that modern technology all the way back thousands of years they would be you know a bunch of guys you know sitting around in, a, in either in a synagogue or in in a, a local area, around a fire, around a meal, and they would be tell, telling the story. They'd be sharing the story. That's why a lot of t- a lot of these um, festivals were centered around um, sharing the story. They would tell the story at festivals, um, like like for instance uh, the festival of Sukkot, uh, or let's just go to Passover. Let's go all the way back to Passover. <coughs> the story of Passover was um, that they were freed delivered the the nation of israel was delivered from egypt from slavery and so they would retell a how they got into slavery and they would retell the story of how god delivered them from slavery throughout the meal they would tell it before the meal during the meal after the meal and they would tell the story of what god did and then they would tell the story of the of god's people before mount sinai receiving the law and then they would talk about the law um, throughout the the, fe- the festival of of uh, the feast of weeks, which is uh, fifty days after um, after uh, the the end of the festival of first fruits, which is the festival of of uh, unleavened bread, which is kicked off by Passover, and then you get into the you know the, the later story, you know, and then you, the the fall festivals, um, and we'll go specifically to the feast of tabernacles, which is Sukkot, and Sukkot is the story around uh, when God's people wandered in the wilderness and what happened throughout the wilderness. So they would tell the story. They would tell the story. Life back then was storytelling, repeating the orations word for word, not like adding embellishments because if you were caught adding embellishments, like I said, you could be killed uh, by adding to the word of God, specifically God's, God's, God's word, uh, specifically to God's, to God's story. Um, so <clears throat> that was the Old Testament. Um, then Old Testament writings um, survived because of you know writing writings throughout uh, those periods. You know the, the periods of the judges, the period of David and Solomon, and David wrote all of the Psalms. Um, and then you have the prophets like Isaiah, and and then you had uh, these collections. They would collect these. They collected these books uh, at the end of the exile, um, and put them together. And even even the, during the time of Jesus, there was discussion and debate on what books should be included in the Bible. Uh, for their Bible, what we call the Old Testament, um, the first, you know, the first books of the of the of the Bible, um, there was a debate, and so that's why they split into two in, into two people groups. There was the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and then I've got you've got the Essenes and the Zealots. So those are a couple others, but based around the Word of God. So you had the Pharisees, which believed in all of the books of the law, you know, the Torah, the five first five, and then the rest of of the Old Covenant, the the you know the history books. Uh, like you know, Joshua, Judges, um, and you know, First and Second Samuel, First and Second uh, Chronicles, First and Second Kings, uh, Ruth, um, uh, Esther, 
uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, these different historical books, and you know, Job, um, and then he had the poetry, he had you know the Psalms, and then he had the poetry, the wisdom poetry, he had you know Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, um, and then he had, um, <clears throat> then he had all of the prophetic books, and so, uh, and all the prophets were overlaid over the historical books. He had the history, you know, the Torah, first five, then he had the history books, in the wisdom and, and poetry, and then he had the prophets. So if you take the Bible, and you take the Old Testament. You basically just kind of, you know, rip it, you know, rip it in, in basically in three parts or four parts, I guess. And you take specifically the prophets and the history books and you overlay them. You basically take them and you overlay them. All the different prophets were to these different time periods throughout these history books. And if you notice, the history books actually end right up, right up front, right, right up to the intertestamental period where we don't have, we only have some history, but that's another story. Um with what's called the Apocrypha, you know, first and second Maccabees and all sorts of stuff. Um, but so you have the prophets that were, that should, you know, that's why if, if you pick up a chronological Bible, oftentimes they'll actually take, they'll take all the prophets and overlay them into the, the books where, where it's happening in that history. What king they're being a prophet to, you know, this prophet to Ahaz and saying, Hey, repent or you're, you're going to be killed. You're going to be taken over by the, by the Assyrians. And uh, lo and behold, I get wiped out in the northern kingdom gets wiped out and then you know later on you know I think of course you got books like you know the you know the books of Daniel and they have a lot of historical stuff to them as well uh, during the time of that exile uh, with Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians who took over the southern kingdom in the fifth century or sixth fifth century fifth century um, and then you had um, and then you then they you know then they were they were taken over by the Persians. And then that's when you get like the, you know, Cyrus and Darius and, and Xerxes, you know, that's why the book of Esther actually happens during the exile, um, during, you know, cause she's a Jew in Persia. Um, she's a Persian. And so, and that's, you know, if you, if you ever watched the, the movie 300, that's Esther is Xerxes wife. Uh, that's her husband. <laughs> um, and so, um, and so you have all these, but so the split is that the Pharisees believed all of the Bible, the Torah, the history, history books, the, the poetry, the prophets, they believed all of it. The Sadducees said, no, we can't trust these books. We can't trust the history books. We can't trust the poetry books. We can't trust the prophet, prophetic books. Um, so we only accept the Torah. We only accept the book of Moses, uh, the books of Moses, which, you know, he believed, you know, the you know, Genesis was an oral tradition passed down, written down by Moses. Um, from all those years before. And so you have this, this split even 2000 years ago, uh, between the Pharisees and the Sadducees about the book of, about the book of the Bible, you know, the books of the Bible, which one should be included? <coughs> what is biblical? What is historical? Cause that's the biggest thing is what is historical? Because if it's historical, then it's true. And if what it says and what, if it accounts, you know, what it recounts and what it, what it poses as, as, you know, prescribes, is true as well and, and bearing upon our lives and we need to trust and it's trustworthy. Um, and so, um, the church trusted more along the Pharise Pharisaical line, just because the Pharisees, the Essenes and the zealot and, and the zealots all, you know, were all like the Pharisees. They believed together that all the books were trustworthy. It was only the, the Sadducees, the, basically the, I guess I'd, you'd, uh, you know, I'd count them to the, to the, uh, the Republicans of their day, the ones that were tied to the empire, uh, very heavily tied to the empire. Um, so the Sadducees were very connected to the Roman empire. Um, and they were the ones that ran the temple. All this, the temple sacrifices were the, were the Sadducees um, during that time. So then later on, New Testament. Um, so pro you know, probably one the first of the gospels that was written was the book of Mark. Um, and the book of Mark is actually the gospel telling story of Peter. Uh, Peter, um, you know, I'm sorry, John Mark. So John Mark um, wrote the, you know, the book of, of Mark. Uh, but he traveled with Paul for a little while. But he also, after, you know, they split um, from, from Paul and Barn you know, Barnabas and, and Paul split. Barnabas and, and John Mark went back to Antioch where Peter ended up. And so Peter, you know, John Mark would travel with Peter. And he traveled all the empire, and then they eventually ended up in Rome. And so he kept telling the gospel and preaching the gospel from Rome. And uh, that's where we get a lot of the, the the understanding that Mark was written to a Roman 
mentality is because he ended up in Rome. And so that's where the book of Mark was recounted because he heard this gospel story from Peter so many times that he was like, I need to write this down because writing became such a very important, important thing during, during that culture. And so the writing, the written language was Greek. The spoken language was for the vampire was Aramaic. Um, and, and Hebrew is still spoken as well. But Aramaic was the common language that everyone spoke. Um, and then up in, up in Rome, um, and a lot of the, these heavily Roman cities, most of them would speak Latin. Um, and so then we get uh, Paul. So Paul's first book that he wrote was Galatians. Um, there's a, let me kind of pause here for a second. If you are looking for a great chronological uh, reading list, um, re- your reading ability and historical backgrounds and stuff, for the books of the Bible, a great way to read the New Testament is to pick up a book by Frank Viola. Uh, the book's title is The Untold Story of the New Testament. And so basically he he takes the book of Acts, his historical outline for the, the, New, the New Testament, and he, um, <coughs> and he uh, uh, breaks it down and he kind of does a reverse reading um, a, lot of t- a lot of times, kind of filling in the blanks. Uh, because of something that he that Paul has said throughout, you know, the, or something that's written in the Book of Acts, or something that's written in the epistles, um, and kind of dissecting the history, it's really, really neat, really fascinating. Um, great book to read. It's a wonderful book to read, and it's a great way to do your devotionals. Pick it up, read, you know, read that that chapter up to where he, but and he basically has you read the books in order. Um, and I would definitely, you know, pick up. Um, I would say pick up a like a CSB, um, or even shoot. You know, the net. The net is a great translation. Uh, and also, uh, one that I've been using a lot for preaching. Uh, actually, two. There's this one. So, the Passion Translation uh, is a great translation. Uh, really puts it into our, our common day vernacular. It's not a word for words. What, it's, what it does is it tries to take the language and make it more understandable um, to um, to our common, our common everyday English. Um, and so... <coughs> our vernacular and how we speak and so and trying to clarify what might be confusing if it was word for word uh trying to you know like paraphrase you know, phrases and things like that so he do, they do a good job with helping uh helping people in the 21st century to understand uh what the bible is trying to say uh there's also another one that's more of a narrative style called the voice uh it's also a really great great tra- great uh paraphrase paraphrase translation uh of the scriptures um and so uh, you know, pick that up and read that along with the untold story of the New Testament. I think you it will it will benefit you so much. It's great. So, um, so then we have the different letters that were written by Paul and James and Peter and John and and uh, and Jude and all these you know, these these letters that were written <coughs> in the other Gospels. Um, there were you know the book the book of Matthew that was written uh, in the Gospels, which was written to a Jewish audience. Uh, the book of Luke that was written by a Gentile. Um, out of, I believe it was out of Galatia, the region of Galatia, where Timothy came from as well. Um, if you, can, you can actually, you know, see him join, uh, join Paul in Acts chapter 16, where he, where he changes the vernacular from they, talking, telling a story, to we, telling an autobiography at that point. Um, and so, um, and so, and, and he, and so Acts is, is written by Luke. So Luke, Luke, Luke and Acts are one work. Uh, written and probably financed by this guy named Theophilus. There's a couple different thoughts about who Theophilus was, if it was a person or if it was just simply God-fearer, God-lover, you know, lover of God. Um, <coughs> you know, Theo, God, and Phileo, you know, love, brotherly love. So, you know, brotherly love, lover of God. You know, lover of God is basically what Theophilus means. Um, so it could be a person. could just be a general, you know, general reader that he wrote it for. Um, but he wrote Luke and Acts as one continuous story. As one continuous work, um, and so we kind of we, we broke it up into two. And then John, the book of John, was written much you know later down through down down the history, probably at least thirty about thirty years after Jesus ascended. Uh, so this was John writing his gospel uh, from Ephesus and writing it to a very Gentile audience, and he followed more of a theological, uh, more of a wisdom thing, which is I mean the Greeks were heavy on wisdom and and understanding and stuff like that. So it wasn't, they didn't value necessarily chronology, you know, chronology like Luke and, and, uh, and Mark and, and Matthew, he, he wrote very theological. So it, the book of John is not in, in chronological order. If you notice that all of the miracles continually get more and more miraculous from, you know, changing, you know, transforming water into wine at a wedding all the way up to raising someone from the dead. But all that stuff is not an order in between. 
as um, you kind of jumps around everywhere. That's why sometimes you can read it and get kind of confused. Um, and so, uh, because he's writing more of a wisdom, so ascending into wisdom. And if you look at it, the first, you know, 30 years of, or the first, like, three, you know, entire, entire three years of, his, of Jesus' ministry happens between chapter 1 and chapter 13, where it slows down to the Passion Week for the entire rest of the book. Um, and, the, and the days following until he ascended. <coughs> and so, these different, these different books were written um, during different times throughout the first century. Um, and then um, they started copying. They started copying books so that they could spread these letters from Paul because they believed in the church that these letters from Peter, Paul, James, all the, and John, like all these books were as authoritative to the, to the Old Covenant writings. Um, they believed... Uh, that there was a helicopter flying by. I'll wait for a second. Uh, <coughs> basically, they believed that these the writings of the apostles were as authoritative as the Old Covenant, as authoritative, if not more authoritative than the Old Testament. You know, the Torah and all these, and the and the history and the prophets, and you know that the that the new that the Old Covenant became more of a supplementary um, text to. Uh, to these these apostles um, and life in the spirit, um, and so um, so we, we hear the you know, these different uh, writings from these apostles, and they started copying so that all these churches all across the you know, all across the the that the world at that time could have the the book of, of Jesus the, the could have scripture, um, and so like one church because you would, you know the book of Ephesus was written to the church in the city of Ephesus, but remember. They would gather house to house in these little house churches uh, before they could start, you know, building these larger areas to meet together. So they would meet house to house. And so, you know, say I got, I got, I was the, the recipient of the letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. And I knew of like five other house churches that, so we'd gather together and read the letter and then I would copy it and send it home with these different house churches so that they could study what Paul was writing us. And so we, you know, all of a sudden these, these letters started being copied and being copied. And again, remember still in that time, exact writing, exact copying, exact, you know, photo, basically photocopy, you know, a photocopy, you know, how they, how they make and print these, um, was, was important. And so if they, we see this in the time of the seasons, they would be writing the scripture down, they'd be copying the scripture. And if they messed up, they would cut it and burn it. And then they would sew, you would tie in a new piece of parchment, you know, and continue the scroll. And so, we, we, we know this, that they actually, if they ever made a mistake, like they would actually practice. The, one of the full scrolls that we have from the Dead Sea Scrolls um, is actually uh, a practice scroll. And you can see where they just kind of scratch things out because they messed up and they wrote the, the true word. And, and so they, they have this practice scroll that didn't make the cut. You know, there was just the guy practicing so that he could be exact. Because remember, exact was important to them. Uh, truth, exact truth. You know, peer-reviewed, all the things that are important to us today. You know, scientific fact and 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 uh, intangibility and and exact you know exactness is so prevalent to us today is important to us. For them, exactness, copying letter for letter, tittle for tittle, jot for jot. You know, cross you know t crossing crossing your t's. You know, all these things were so vital to them that to be unfaithful to this was unthinkable. Because that was their culture, that was their way of life, um, and so uh, this is this is one of the tangibilities that I believe is so key to understanding that Scripture is trustworthy, is is the fact of what was valued back then um, throughout throughout these generations, <coughs> preservation, continuing, and so copying and copying it needs to be exact. So here's another another very so so throughout the you know the first and second centuries. Uh, we see these things being copied and, and, and spreading. Now, what started to happen in the, uh, toward the end of the first century and then second and third century was you started having these disciples of the disciples. These guys like Polycarp and Ignatius and Irenaeus and these what we call the early church fathers uh, writing to these churches. So we have like the, the Shepherd of Hermas, the Gospel of Barnabas, um, these different things that were that are trustworthy, uh, trustworthy worthy books. Uh, but they weren't included in scripture. Um, 
because, but you know, there's a long story about why. But like these dif- these different writings. So Polycarp wrote a bunch. Irenaeus wrote a bunch. We we have these in collections. I mean, I there's this collection that we have, you know, that's you know, this huge book collection of I can't remember like 30 volumes or something like that of theologians and writings throughout all of history. <clears throat> and like the first like 13 volumes is just the early church fathers, and we can we have enough of quotations from the New Testament by these early church fathers quoting Paul, quoting John and addressing it. We have enough quotations in that the early church fathers wrote quoting these early these New Testament writings to actually retranslate the New Testament 13 times over. So not only do we have copies of the original manuscripts, but we also have basically the the, the entire New Testament over and over again. Um in the form of the early church fathers quoting them. Um, and so there's another another ability on top of, you know, trustability on top of the fact that we have, so I'm going to go and get into more trustability, so manuscripts. So the scripture passage, this, you know, Bible is, tra- is translated from manuscripts of copies that we have of, of the scriptures. And I believe fragments and pieces and pages we have of the Bible, we have over 250,000, I believe is, is the number. Uh, it, you know, around manuscripts, fragments, collections, I and mean, we have not, it's not counting just collections of manuscripts. Um, I think the earliest co- you know fragment that we have is from I believe John John 19, and that's within 50 years of it having been written. Um, and so there's so many copies upon copies of the Bible <coughs> that we have. Now I want to introduce you to this this Bible. Uh, this Bible is is so helpful for me because it has over 70,000 um, different marks. You can see the, the study notes. You've got this one little piece, like what? Not even two scriptures. And you have one verse and like the first part of, of verse two. And all of this scripture, the, all of these, these notes, these are all notes about the language, the manuscripts, why they translated it the way that they did. What, you know, what, man, what manuscript they, you know, because they've got this whole like intricate lettering system to tell you what collection, what page, what everything, like down to the, to the line, down to the, to the words that they used in specific fragments and manuscripts. <clears throat> and so, uh, this is such an incredibly robust Bible when it comes to studying the original, you know, the original languages and why they translated things and, and, um, about the, the words and about the manuscripts. It's so beautiful. Um, and so, like I said, we have over 250,000 fragments and, and manuscripts and collections of, of scripture um, that are within 50 years. Now, think about trustability. Let's talk about trustability here for a second. Um, would you trust something that had just a couple copies? You wouldn't. Maybe. I mean, you would, you would, you would take them. Like, for instance, we have two collections of Shakespeare's writings. Two. <coughs> and that's all that survived of Shakespeare's actual writings. Two. Two books. Now, of course, now we have copies of them, right? Uh, but only two actual collections of, of, of Shakespeare have survived. And like I said, we have over 250,000 fragments. Now, let's talk about Aristotle, like these early Greek uh, authors. So Aristotle, Plato, Socrates... These Greek, you know, men from like from 2,000 years ago, the closest copies that we have, uh, you know, when, from when they were written to the ones that we use today to quote Aristotle and, under, and have an understanding of Arist- of these early Greeks is a separation of a, over a thousand years between the time that they wrote it and the copy that we have. One thousand years difference. We have manuscript like manuscripts full manuscripts within 100 years we're talking like entire manuscripts within like i would say i think about 60 years 60 70 years um <coughs> of them having been written been written like i said that fragment the earliest fragment we have is within 50 years so talk about trustability we have more trustworthy you know amount of manuscripts and historically close manuscripts and yet no one would ever question Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, and what they wrote. We base many of our things like, I mean, you know, medical and and math and all the these and wisdom and logic, all these different things that universities use today. No one questions them, and yet they rely. They put their they rely on on you know structural 
you know, construction and wisdom and, 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 uh, and uh, philosophy and teaching and, and these seminary, you know, these university classes being taught on a book that was, that the earliest copy that we have is within a thousand years. The closest we have is a thousand years. Talk about trustability. <clears throat> we, the, the Bible is the most trustworthy book ever written that is authoritative to our lives our lives and everything in, in reality and existence. Um, now, let's talk about Old Testament. So, and why the Dead Sea Scrolls were such a huge thing. So, I want to talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls for just a little bit, because we're, we're getting about 35 minutes. Um, and so, talk about, um, so, the, 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 so back in, uh, I believe around the 40s, we started having questions and discussion and debates and questioning the validity of the Old Testament, like the, the Old Testament that we had today. Because the earliest copy of uh, of the Old Testament that we had at, up at that point, like the you know the that all these things were written from from the Hebrew, the Hebrew Old Testament, um, we had the closest thing we had was this codex that's now in the in the in the the shrine of the book in in Jerusalem. It's a codex, which a codex is a book. That's what they call a book. I believe it was there are like metal pages or copper pages. I believe they're, they're written on, kind of etched into. Um, so that was the closest copy that we had uh, was within a thousand years. Again, talking about trustability, um, you know, the early Greeks. So that's why these things were started to be questioned because the, the copy that we had of the Hebrew was so old. Well, lo and behold, this little shepherd was out in, you know, by the Dead Sea in, in, over in Israel. And he was, you know, trying to, you know, he was out there shepherding a sheep and trying to find shelter from the storm that was coming in. And so he was, uh, or I just think, looking for a place to sleep for the night. So he took a rock and threw it into a cave because there's a bunch of caves all over all over the Dead Sea, all these caves. And so he's looking for shelter. So he took a rock and threw it into a cave because he was trying to scare out an animal, uh, you know, just kind of so that he could go in there and he knew that he was going to be safe. So he took a rock, rock threw it in, took a rock, threw it in, and all of a sudden he heard this little. <coughs> he was like, Boo. no animal came out, so he decided it was safe and went up into the cave, and lo and behold, there were these giant vases, these giant giant vases. These giant, you know, clay, giant pots, you know, if you will, um, and he that were sealed up, and he 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 hit one, and he cracked it, um, and he looked inside, and there were these scrolls, and there were all these 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 things these things everywhere, all these these clay pots everywhere, and they and, they, and later on, and so he you know took them back and showed them to someone, and they're like, this is the Bible, this is what is this, and so. All these historic historians came in. This was about like in the late 40s, early early 50s, um, that they started you know taking all these scrolls out, and then they started going to these other different caves and found more and find found more. They started exploring all these caves, and then they found Qumran. They found this this ancient city uh, that that wrote all of these scrolls. That was right I mean right next to it, right there, and so they started pulling these out and preserving them, and and uh, and and then they started to. To, to read them and to figure out what they were and they, they were fragments and copies of different Old Testament books and and so and they they compared them to the codex and they were so it was like 99.8% like 99.8 or 9% like to the T accurate to what we have what we from what the codex from a thousand years later had and what these Dead Sea Scrolls had and so the Essenes who wrote the, the the Dead Sea Scrolls were the ones responsible for basically writing all of the of the the scrolls that were that were in in use in Israel at that time. All of the synagogues got their scrolls from Qumran. All of the scrolls in the temple came from Qumran, and that's what we had was we had scrolls that were being prepared for transport. You know, giving you know giving to synagogues. Again, it was you know precious to them was the validity and the trustworthiness of the copies. And so we have this entire collection of, of scriptures that basically prove that the codex that we've been translating the Bible from for these last, you know, 1,000 years was true and exact to what the, the, the temple even had 2,000 years ago. And so talk about trustworthiness. We're talking about trustworthiness here. Is the Bible trustworthy? I would pose that the Bible, that the 66 books of the Bible are, is the most trustworthy book in all of history, all of creation. Um, the most trustworthy book that we have. Um, and so uh, then, well, why? Why would we, you know, 
Well, what about the New Testament? Like, what about the people who put it together? What about these different people that got together and distorted them? Like, they just they just chose what was in the Bible. There's all these different other books, you know, the Book of Thomas and the you know the, the Gospel of Thomas, the the Gospel of of Judas, the Gospel of Jesus, Gospel of Mary. You know, how can I be sure that the books that we have are authoritative? Because didn't men just you know choose conveniently what they wanted to put into the Bible? And so there was the the Council of um, of, of Nicaea that. <clears throat> that met in the fourth century, and so their their method was they wanted to they wanted to take all the books of the Bible and decide what you know what was canonical because what started happening was people started to make up books. That's why we we ascribe you know the Gospel of of Judas or the Gospel of Jesus, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Thomas, like these different uh, books. Um, we ascribe them as um, as Gnostic gospels or. Uh, apocryphal, like Gnostic, Gnostic books of the Bible, um, that were not written by Judas, but were not written by Jesus, were not written by Mary, were not written by the people that they were ascribed to. We called pseudo, pseudonymous, I believe, is what it's called. Um, not written by the person that it's posing; it was written by. And so, why do we believe this? Well, because Gnosticism started to take, you know, wisdom and knowledge and the and the Greek mythology and started to merge it and mesh it with. Um, with Christian tradition, with the with the Bible, with Jesus, and started doing some weird things. Like the Gospel of Jesus has this thing where, you know, Jesus when he was a child, oh, it's like the infancy by you know, infancy Gospel of Jesus or something like that, trying to fill in the blanks. You know. But basically, like they posed at one time, like Jesus was mad at a kid and pushed him off a cliff and then went down and like brought him back to life and like, doing all you know all these things were just ridiculous. Um, and so that you know these things that did not agree with what the you know with the books that the apostles wrote. Um, so they started to compare and contrast what was written in these in these books, <coughs> and so there was also a litmus test. So um, they would take all the you know how many count how many collections of of scriptures they had from each region, each city, and they would compile the ones that came up the most. Like so, you know, Ephesus had all the books of the Bible that all these that you know that Galatia had that um, that uh, you know. Uh, you know, Philippi had that Athens had that Antioch had, but they had like you know three three more that that they had among them, but none of the other churches had them, and so they're like, well, yeah, let's not include that one because no one else. It wasn't widely accepted by by the church, so they were looking for validity, like what compared to the apostles' writings that all of them trusted and all of them knew, um, plus what were the ones that were widely accepted by all the churches. All the churches had a copy of the Book of Romans. All of the books, all of these cities had a copy of the Book of Matthew. All of these, you know, they had a Book of John, the Book of Luke. You know, they had all the churches widespread across everywhere where all the churches had them. So they wanted to make sure that they were widespread, widely accepted uh, by the church. They, were, they had been use, in use for a long period of time. And they weren't just like someone made this up and wrote it in Ephesus. Uh, you know, oh yeah, the Gospel of Judas. Yeah, he wrote a gospel. In Ephesus, only the Ephesus had it. Like, why would they accept that as truth? So they they and they fought and they debated for months over this thing. Um, and the main thing that brought them together was the desire to counter this um, this early early church heresy called Arianism, where basically this guy named Arius um, came in and started posing that Jesus did not you know Jesus was not God, Jesus was not divine. Um, so. Um, they, they, they wanted to pose this by making sure that they had this consensus between all of these church leaders from all over the empire and bringing them all together and saying, all right, let's settle down and, and, and make this, make this a, you know, uh, resolute. These are the books that we accept and everything else we do not. Everything else we know comes from Greek or Roman paganism. So this is scriptural. That is not. This is godly. That is pagan. Um, and so that's why, that's why and how the Bible was, the Bible that we have, specifically the New Testament, the New Covenant, uh, why, you know, how it was put together. So um, <clears throat> that's how the books of the Bible were put together as what we call the canon, C-A-N-O-N, the canon of Scripture. Uh, that is, a, it is authority. That's why I said the book of the 66 books of the Bible are um, this, the unique and full final authority on all matters of faith and practice, and there are no other writings similar inspired by God. 
this is where the debate between Protestantism and Catholicism came in as well, because Catholicism started to bring in <coughs> the traditions. Basically, whatever the Pope said became Scripture. Whatever traditions the Catholic Church placed in, like you know, like like confession, like um, uh, indulgences, uh, like purgatory, all these things started being added later. Uh, by you know Gregor the Great and, and down through the age down through the, down through the years, and so they they started to add tradition the Catholic you know Catholic tradition to the sixty six books of the Bible. So is Bible and and tradition in the in the Catholic tradition. And what Martin Luther did in the sixteenth century said he said, Scripture alone, sola scriptura, tradition out, Scripture alone, Bible alone, no tradition. We're, we don't accept that as canonical. You know, they, they still did some things as part of that Eucharist and all sorts of stuff in the church, but they didn't. They did not hold that what the church had posed after the canon was was solidified. They didn't see these things as equal to the Bible, um, and so the Bible is our authority for practice as well. So orthodoxy, which is right understanding, right theology, right doctrine, comes from the book, from the Scripture, from the Bible. Right doctrine, orthodoxy comes from scripture uh, and the Holy Spirit and then orthopraxy the right practice um, what we do um, as as a church what we what we do um, as, a, as a vision as a plan as what makes us a church and what we do as a church what's called orthopraxy also comes from scripture scripture sola scriptura um, scripture and Holy Spirit Holy Spirit um, empowering us to read the scriptures to, you know, they're two two wings of the same plane or two wings of the same bird, um, and without both of them working together, Holy Spirit and and Holy Scripture working together, um, if they're out of balance, you'll crash. We need to make sure that we understand Scripture through the Holy Spirit, um, because if you deny Holy Spirit and you only read the Bible, then you, you can become a Pharisee very quick, a law-abiding, you know, you know, Pharisee uh, in the church. Um, you know, no Holy Spirit, you know, no miraculous, no inspiration, except maybe if the deacons need to make a decision. Um, but it, again, on the on the flip side, if too much Holy Spirit and not enough Bible, then you'll become theologically grounded in midair. Um, you, you know, it's you'll have you'll have no orthodoxy, and and your orthodoxy and your orthopraxy will suffer. Um, so you need to have a balance of Holy Spirit, Holy Bible working together, and that's how we understand God's heart. God's perspective, God's character, and most importantly, God's worldview. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy from Scripture and Holy Spirit being balanced together so that we know God's heart, so that we are spending time in His Word, spending time in His presence through the empowering of His Holy Spirit, time before His throne, um, you know, boldly coming before the throne of grace. Um, and we need, we, we need both. We need Scripture, knowing that it is authoritative for all things that pertain to life and godliness. So, again, a reminder of what I preached on Sunday. We need to read the Word. We need to faithfully read and study Scripture uh, and other faith material. <coughs> you know, pick up a good book um, and study. And it could, a lot of times that will help you study Scripture, help to understand. You know, basically, like books are, are like hearing a, a podcast or a sermon like this. It's basically like if someone wrote this down in a book, it could become a book. And so it's basically a book is someone's theological diatribe through writing. Um, theological, you know, orthodoxy and orthopraxy experienced through someone's written, you know, writing, uh, authors. And then, uh, so we need to read the word and faith material. Um, relate the word. We need to apply it. You know, people talk about applying it to our, our, our everyday lives. But it needs to be relatable. It needs to be, um, you know, the word we call relevant. Um, and what that means is basically like, I know how to live it. I know how to live the Bible in my everyday life. It's not that hard to, hard to understand that. Um, so remember the word. As the Bible said, hide, I need to hide, you know, I want to hide my, your word in my heart. That way I may not you know, sin against you. That I may not go off into error so I can focus. Because remember, prayer is focusing. Spending time in the word, spending time prayerfully in the word is focusing. Focusing on God's heart. Focusing on him. Hiding his words in your heart that you may live his way. Um, Represent the Lord. Live it. Live, again, orthodox, a proper orthodoxy manifests itself in orthopraxy. Pre, you know, right, right doctrine, right practice. Uh, so represent it. Represent the word. Live it. And reveal the word. Speak it. 
Speak the word over people. Speak the, speak the word over your life. Speak the word over people, over one another. This is what it means to be, speak prophetically. <clears throat> Speaking the word of God, what God is saying to someone over them. Someone's going through a hard time, encouraging them with the, with the word. Encouraging them, hey, David, you know, David struggled as well. Lamentations is all about lamenting and mourning and saying, God, I'm, I'm sad. God, I'm, I'm beyond sad. Women are eating their children in the streets. I'm lamenting. Uh, but, but great is your faithfulness, Lord God. You're with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. I remember that. So speak those promises. Speak those things over each other. Uh, speak those words over your, over your own life. Uh, and, and this is where, where the scripture passage of rightfully handling the word of truth comes into practice. So being, you know, ortho, orthodoxy, right understanding. So that's where we get into the word. We study it. And this is where, my, again, like I preached on Sunday, this is where my, my, my presence in the church comes in handy. You know, I went to undergrad and got my master's degree um, in theology and Christian studies in the Bible for you so that you would know how to properly handle the word of truth so that you would be able to properly live it you know read it and uh and and, and understand it to be able to uh to read it to uh relate it to remember it to relate it i already said that reveal it um so that you would have the tools that you need for your life and faith you know i exist as a shepherd as a preacher teacher um for the you know equipping you the saints equipping the saints for the work of ministry that's why i exist so if you have questions about the bible if you want to have a conversation about the bible about jesus about rightfully handling, handling the word of truth for your own life or for others uh maybe as a catalyst in, in other people's lives then please i mean please shoot me a text message i'll help you study the word of god i will i want to help you study the word of god um, and understand it and properly handle it so I know this has been a long one, uh, but I hope that this gives you uh, the tools that you need uh, to understand for your own life, for your own faith, for your own practice, and for talking with others about the scripture, talking with others about the Bible, answering questions. And again, if you have a question, if you're like someone asks you a question at work and you're like, uh, I got, I got nothing. Um, dude, be like, hey, that's great. That's a great question. I don't know that. Let me talk. Let me call my pastor. Let me call Alan. And maybe he'd be willing to get together with us. I would love, I would love to go out to coffee or go out to dinner, like go and meet up with you and your friend from work and, you know, sit down and talk about the Bible with them. Talk or equip or just simply equip you with the tools that you need to go back to work to have conversations uh, with your, with coworkers, family and friends, you know, just whoever, whoever it is. Um, I want to equip you for your faith. I want to equip you for life and godliness. So uh, because we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. So hope this has been a helpful uh, podcast. I hope this has been helpful for you guys. Um, again, give me a holler. Um, if you if you have questions, if you have thoughts, uh, I'll put my, my contact information in uh, in this video on Facebook um, so that you, or on Vimeo and uh, on the website so that you can, if you want to contact me, you know, shoot me a message uh, through social media or shoot me an email. Um, or give the church a call because it goes to right to my right to this uh, epic epic flip phone. Yes, yes, we got a flip phone. So uh, give me give the church a call. It goes right to my right to this this cell phone, um, and I will pick up and call you know your call and answer and have a conversation. So love you guys. I hope this helps. Again, contact me with words or with uh, encouragement. If, if has this podcast help? Is this helpful? Is this a great direction for you guys? Uh, what else would be helpful for me to talk about on these podcasts? I'd love to know um, because again, my work is to equip you for the work of ministry to those in your life, those in your act group, those in your one-on-ones and for your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So love you guys. Hope this uh, has been beneficial to you. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.